Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I am your host, Lyndon Willoughby, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. Um, definitely a delayed start to this episode. In a in a weird twist of fate, Matt, you and I were, like, ready to roll pretty much on time. Which, <laughs> that never happens. Yeah, which anyone who records with us knows that that's just, like, that that is... <laughs> That's a that's a rarity. That's a unicorn of a moment right there. Um, <laughs> but of course, uh, the universe still <laughs> felt like uh, throwing a wrench in all of our best laid plans in the form of a uh, faulty USB C cable that was um, that was delivering us terrible audio recording quality. And uh, luckily, we have a guest on tonight who was able to tell us that it sounded terrible. If it had been just you and me, Matt, I feel like there's every possibility that we would have recorded this entire episode and not have known. Yeah, and it would have been just. It it would have sounded we would have like, had to re-record the whole episode. Yeah, it would have been a hot pile. Like, yeah, that would have been really bad. So this is the point where we have to drop a gigantic thank you to our guest of the evening, returning favorite uh, Mr. Zelda 2 himself, Josh of Zelda Universe. How are you doing tonight, Josh? I'm doing okay. I diagnosed the faulty USB cable already. Yeah, right. Well, and I know I know you're kind of uh, in the in the midst of getting over a uh, an an illness, um some seasonal crud, so hoping that's okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm okay. It's it's Texas. It's just how it goes. When the uh when the politics don't get you down, the weather does its best to yeah, do the same, basically. That's how it works. When it, oh goodness. When it's when it's not the state government or the power grid, it's just the actual weather <laughs> just the rain <laughs> the rain or the snow or the hail whichever one is happening within like a, whichever combination of those things are all happening within, within a, the same week like a three-day yeah three to five-day period yeah um that's that's the you life know, we, we live we, we <laughs> down texas a lot but honestly i do i do love living here like mostly because my family lives here yeah but we've like, you, you know we've also never been like directly affected by any of the apocalyptic hailstorms that we all know people who who like have very much been affected by those you know like yeah that's true friends i have who, friends like, and family members who like had cars totaled by hail and windows just destroyed <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like I, I I definitely know plenty of people who have those sorts of stories like like, oh, hey, how, how'd you guys fare with that? <laughs> that most recent hailstorm? They're like, well, grapefruit sized hail like punctured holes in my roof, in my roof and <laughs> into my living room or something. I'm like, like huh. So you got hit by like an ice meteor, which that sounds like a really fun like like magic spell. Basically, from Zelda. basically one of one of the one of the Exodus plagues was visited (laughs) on this household i'm like well all right all right that sucks that's unfortunate that's never what you want no josh we're super happy to have you back with us of course um you know it was it was only appropriate to bring you on to kind of usher in our experience with uh, zelda 2 and it seemed equally appropriate to have you here as we close out our experience with this game just to kind of neatly bookend things It, it felt like there was some nice symmetry there and as a as as an artist, I do appreciate symmetry, um, except for in instances where 
asymmetry is called for. This is not one of those. So um, I was about to say I'm giving you such a look <laughs> that I wish everybody could see. But since we're in an audio format, nobody can see this look that I'm giving you. Look, time, time and place for everything. And uh, and yeah, this was all about this was all about the balance of things. It's perfectly balanced I, as all things I should be. I understood the reference since I'm an artist, too. See, there you go. I'm glad that Matt's firmly outnumbered on this I'm episode I'm glad tonight. somebody understands you, when, Linda. When you were saying <laughs> symmetry, I was like, are you sure? What about asymmetry? Yeah, the uh, the, met- the metaphor didn't have legs in quite the way that I wanted it to, but uh, but that's okay. won't go down as my greatest, uh, my greatest opening of all time, but uh, hopefully it's also not my worst. Um, but anyway, <laughs> regardless. <laughs> Jury's still out on that one. Yeah, I know. Regardless, very, uh, very happy to have you with us here josh um i know that uh the end of this game kind of kind of snuck up on me i don't know about you matt but yeah i i definitely like we knew that the great palace was the last one and like we knew this was going to be the last palace of course but i don't know it just still felt a little like oh it's over all right cool it's over we did it Hooray. <laughs> and that is the big thing. We did it. We did it, y'all. We, we did it. And I beat Zelda 2. <laughs> and not the modded Hooray. version. And we didn't cheat. We did use save states and rewind. But I don't think that really classifies as cheating anymore because it's on a Nintendo console. And it was made that way. Not to cast aspersions uh, against <laughs> people who have appeared on this show who have used those methods i'm only casting moderate aspersions at one specific person because he casts moderate aspersions on my favorite zelda game constantly so well that's fair (laughs) mild i will come to max's defense slightly and say that uh the mods that he is using to play are actually really tame there is an extensively modernized extensively modded version of this game that replaces a lot of things to make it easier and more convenient and more like other Zelda games. Like, so his, his simple less damage done, do more damage, whatever kind of thing is pretty tame. And to be clear, my mild aspersions are purely for a uh, fun joking nature, not an actual aspersion. Upon no, anybody's we, we, character. We, we, we got it. Uh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Just in, case anyone, in case anyone was worried that Matt was like burning the Max Nichols bridge in real time. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I like Max a lot. And I, I hope he he gets my sense of humor enough to know that we're uh, I'm just poking a little bit of fun at him. Yeah. And, no, I mean, the, the stuff that he was kind of doing in his uh, in his ROM, uh, you know, experience, it, it all sounded to me like stuff that was that was like, I, I kind of just wish this is how the game was you know like mild enough to where it's like oh yeah i think that would that would positively change my gameplay experience but would result in me basically playing having the same the same the same game you know um so that's good that's a that's a good balance of things and it it sounded like a great time uh i am kind of curious uh real quick do you want to be a little bit more specific this ultra modernized version that you're talking about josh like what are the what are some of the big swings that it that it kind of takes with the mechanics um, so I'm, I'm actually going to look up exactly what it was here too, since I haven't seen it in a while, but the, uh, I like, I know it changes the whole UI to have like hearts instead of the bar health. Uh, they change link sprite to make it a little easier to read. I actually completely hate the link sprite they use instead, <laughs> but I never um, really had a problem with the, the default one. I mean, it's, it's fine. Nothing wrong with it. Yeah, no, I I like the default one, but I think some people find the mo- the motion 
difficult to understand. Ah. Uh, they rewrote the whole script. Uh, they, they rewrote uh, the script. You, what do yeah, you mean like by they that? Changed how what all the text in the game. They've re- reevaluated it and tried to make it make more sense, which is actually a good change. Uh, and Nintendo did the same thing with Fire Emblem One when they finally released it in English on the Switch. Uh, it had never been translated, but even the basic fan translations worked within the constraints of like the NES's capabilities. And they completely redid it outside of those restrictions to make it like a modern game and make sense. Um, so they did the same thing here. Like uh, one of the things I remember is they renamed the spell spell into the Enigma spell. Ooh, uh, ooh, like, that's that that's spell better. is always it's supposed to be like the say the magic word spell, the right? Sesame spell, like right? And it just you know, like it, it never made any sense like that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you can save more properly now. Uh, they, uh, like there's more, uh, nuance in how much damage you take, like quarter hearts are a thing. Uh, you have, uh, upgraded tunics, like multiple tunics now. Are lives uh, retained as like a mechanic? Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like this, like there is a long list of things here. It's like a gigantic wall of text. Gotcha. Uh, all enemies give experience points. Drops are more common. Uh, you can cancel the fairy spell without having to leave the screen. Nice. Uh, they. I uh, like that one. <clears throat> oh, they also renamed the life spell to the heal spell. Okay. Uh, they. Uh, uh, what was the other thing they did here? Oh, right. I'm pretty sure there's nothing steals experience points anymore. Uh, hey, I never thought that like, that was too much of a problem. Yeah, for me. I thought that that was that was fair and fair enough, I think. Um, it, it's a problem at the beginning of the game. And that's the thing is like this game just like throws you into the deep end in some ways. Uh, like at the very beginning, some of the very first enemies you meet steal experience points or don't give experience points or both. And so right at the beginning, you feel like, I'm not making any progress. I'm not leveling up. Nothing is happening. And it's because you're getting hit. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> and once you get past like the first and second dungeons and stuff, it, that stuff comes down a bit. The little flying eyeballs are called MOAs. They steal experience points. And they're everywhere toward the end of the game. Yeah. But, Graveyards uh, and yeah, old Casuto Town, all those kinds of places. Um. Hey, will you actually do me a favor and drop the link to that in the uh, Discord? I would love to browse it at some, at some future point. Yes, I will do that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cool. Well, that's And shameless plug for the Discord channel right there, just by the way. Yeah, that, sound, that sounds really fascinating and also I think is probably going to form the, uh, form the premise of the uh, between season bonus episode that uh, so Matt and I were talking before we went live. I think uh, obviously next week we're doing the rank and recap with Max, but I think uh, I want to do a a bonus episode that kind of ties up the conversation on Zelda two with a few different people um, in the week between the recap and the start of Wind Waker. Um, still need to get that completely firmed up, but. You know, I, I, Josh, I, I really want to try and get you and one other or one or two other people uh, all together as like a roundtable discussion in that one. And we'll see if we can make it work. But I think the topic of conversation is probably going to veer pretty close to like how like what would you do to Zelda two? like, you know, um, if anything, if any, if anything, um, I will do some things. I will not do as much as Max and Cody 
or anyone else you invite. <laughs> so we talked to you first and then Max and then Cody. And I feel like that was the ascending order of magnitude in terms of like how much each like like I, th- I feel like you would change the least max would change like a medium amount of things and cody would just like burn the game down and start from scratch so <laughs> um, <laughs> so very interesting that it Cody's panned out that way but. that that rough on it but yeah <laughs> yeah um Anyway, well, you know, maybe we'll maybe we'll get an opportunity to find out for sure. But uh, regardless, uh, got a lot to talk about as we kind of close out uh, Zelda 2 this week. It's going to be a great conversation as always. So uh, let's go ahead and get housekeeping out of the way real quick uh, so that we've got plenty of room to just dive straight into that. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda, one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week we play a new section of a Zelda game, then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to our Discord channel, listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and so much more. Of course, one of those benefits is that big Goran Sword patrons get access to a monthly trading card design. Uh, we are pretty much caught up on the artwork for those now. Where uh, we've revealed everything through October, uh, we've got two for the Legend of Zelda and one for the Adventure of Link. Um, and one of those features guest art from the one and only Phil Summers, whose hand-drawn game guide we mentioned quite a lot uh, in our recap of the Legend of Zelda. So, anywho, uh, feels good to be finally caught up on those, and can't wait to get into some Wind Waker art. Of course, one of the other. <coughs> Of course, one of the other benefits that we offer to Master Sword patrons and above is that they get their names read every week here on the show. Those legendary individuals are Chris, Tiffany the Star, Daxel, Patrice, Darknuck, Brian, George, Mike, Dylan, Allie, Lennon, Kolku, Rowan, Josh, Nick, keep it going, Dante, Get, Brittany, Davey, Haru, the Mighty, Derek, Albert, Mark, Andy, Cameron, Tyler, Ben, Daniel, Nick D underscore Nick D underscore TV, Travis, Christian, Jonathan, Hyrule Interviews, a.k.a. number one Zelda historian, Max Nichols, Garrett, Andrew. These are the most legendary of individuals. We could not make this podcast without their generous support. They are, to a person, all excellent. But without further ado, let's talk about what we played. We do that every week in the Sacred Realms Rundown, which is a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we are covering The Adventure of Link, Chapter 5, which deals with the final palace of the game, the Great Palace, and the ending of this story. Part 1 of the Sacred Realms Rundown is... As normally, the plot recap as read by Matt, uh, we do have a, uh, a recurring bit that we do on this show, uh, which is, of course, the plot recap as ad-libbed completely off the cuff by somebody, which is what I'm going to pass over oh, to no. co-host Matt <laughs> to do tonight. He didn't know that this was happening. Um, we were going to we were going to report record the plot recap after the fact uh, in a, a day or two before the episode goes live. But you know what? I really feel like holding Matt's feet to the fire right now. So we're going to let Matt <laughs> roll this plot recap right off the cuff and see what comes from it. And if it's a if it's a hot garbage fire, then uh, then we'll just cut it and do the original thing. <laughs> <sighs> 
he's uh, all he's right. Get, he's getting himself psyched up. He's uh, getting the game face on. He's getting he's getting his rocky sweats on. He's going to go run up and down a few flights <laughs> of stairs real quick. After I shoot this bug away from my beer. All right, you ready? You can do. This. You know I what? You know what? Let's let's just do it. Let's do it. All right. As we leave the Three-Eyed Rock Palace, we set our sights towards Death Valley, where we know the final palace to be, the Triforce of Courage rests, and the end of our journey and the rescue of the princess. Before we go, we decide to swing by the nearby ghost town of Old Casuto, where we find an old man in the house there, the only resident of the entire village. He imparts on us the most powerful of all spells in our arsenal, the Thunder Spell, which he tells us can kill any enemy with one shot. However, it does use most of our magic, even at full upgrade. Taking our new spell, we head off towards Death Valley, or the Valley of Death, whichever you prefer. Making our way through another checkpoint of Lizalfos and Moas, we come to a barren, desolate place full of enemies and more paths of rocky terrain and leading into a system of caves, which is full of more Moas and new enemy types for us to fight. We find ourselves continually challenged by the enemies in our path, but with perseverance and strength and liberal use of our many magical abilities, we make our way through the caves in Death Valley. Finally, we find ourselves at the Great Palace, and we enter in with trepidation. This palace is the most sprawling area we have ever visited in either of our adventures, even more so than Ganon's fortress within Death Mountain. There are paths that lead to dead ends. There are dozens and hundreds of enemies, including three new enemy types that push us to the very limits of our combat abilities. Let me pull up their names. The fo- the Fakeru. Is that, is that how you pronounce that? Is Fakeru? that right, Josh? Okay. okay. The Fakeru are fire-spitting bird-like creatures that throw fire much like the Hammer Bros of earlier dungeons, but do far more damage. If we can get close enough to them, we can take them out and get a nice hefty bout of experience for our trouble. As we progress through the many layers of dungeons, through many corridors, sometimes falling into false floors and even into a and even into another great chasm that drops us all the way to a bottom floor, we find ourselves completely turned around in this area, constantly running into walls and other areas that we must traverse with the fairy spell or places that lead to nowhere at all. After an indeterminate amount of time roaming this great palace and fighting off many more enemies, including Fakas, which are new uh, knight-like creatures that are even more daunting than the Iron Knuckles, because not only are they just as damaging as the Iron Knuckles, they also move around and jump and use far more acrobatic abilities to try to do damage to us. This palace certainly tests us to the limit of our considerable abilities. However, along the way, we do find many items that can help us along our journey. There are lots of red potions which refill our magic, and there are even some extra life dolls to be found within this dungeon. Finally, after a very long and grueling fight through this entire palace, we come to the end where we know the boss chamber to be, at the bottom of the dungeon itself. 
out comes a gigantic bird-like creature. The Thunderbird roars its challenge and starts spitting fire all across the arena and flying around in an erratic pattern. As we attempt to do damage to this creature, we try everything from our upward thrust to our downward thrust. And finally, in desperation, we use our Thunder spell, which we know to be the most powerful of all magic. And the creature changes from red to blue, and we can finally see a place to do damage. Its head has protruded from its body, and we know from our various adventures through most of the other palaces, when in doubt, hit it in the head. So we activate our jump spell and continue jumping around the arena, trying to land a hit on this massive creature. It continues to move erratically and quickly, spitting fireball after fireball, and the more damage we do to it, the faster it moves and the more fireballs it throws. Finally, after a grueling and heroic battle, we bring the creature low, and it explodes in a fiery, glorious explosion, and drops a key for us to progress to the next room. Picking up the key and licking our wounds, as we are very low on both life and magic, we proceed into the next room, where we see the Triforce of Courage, and an old wizened man sitting atop the room. The Guardian of the Triforce, however, does not yield his prize, and instead faces us with one final challenge. Through some unknown magic, he causes a dark shadow of ourselves to come out from our own body. The, tra- the arena transforms and the Triforce disappears, and the shadow version of ourself jumps in, furiously attacking from all angles, jumping around the arena, crouching and jumping, slashing over and over again, and blocking every one of our attempts to do damage. In our weakened state, all we can do is retreat as we try to heal up with any magic ability we still have left. This enemy is exact is an exact copy of ourselves, and we find ourselves pushed all the way to the limits of our considerable might. Its health is high, and its attacks are quick, but at the end of the day, the shadow cannot overcome the light. And we bring this dark enemy low. The Triforce Guardian reappears and rewards us with the Triforce of Courage. And using the three united pieces of the Triforce, we proceed to the next room and lift the spell off of the slumbering Zelda. She awakens and thanks us and christens us once again the hero of Hyrule. She tells us that we have saved Hyrule and we are a real hero. And as the curtain around us lowers, she goes in for a little smooch. Or something. Or something. And so our our story ends, the princess has been saved, and the Triforce has been reunited. Well done, Matt. That was was truly a a wonderful effort. I think... uh, you know, especially with one or one or two of those little pauses edited out, uh, edited out. I think there's no reason in the world that that's not going to sound exactly on par with every other pre-scripted plot recap that you've ever done. So definitely put you on the spot there. You rose to the occasion. Ooh, Highly impressed. That was uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a, little, a little sweaty after that one. I'm going <laughs> to need to uh, take a break. <laughs> Woo. Uh, uh, I give you a hard time on using the wrong names for things sometimes. And I'm pretty sure you actually got it all right this time. Yes, let's go. There was one, there was one thing. I, actually, there were two things I thought might slip you up somewhere. 
and you got both of them. I was waiting for you to more or less. Yeah, I was waiting for you to uh, need two or three tries on old Kasudo Town. But. Yeah, I, look, I almost did. <laughs> I was yeah. I was about to go Katsuo Katuso. No. It's, it's Kasuto. There we go. Got yeah, it. You got it in one, Matt. You got uh, there it we go. in one. Whew. All right. That has been the plot recap. Excellently read. Let's get into part two, which is our takes in which we talk about this section of the game and how it made us feel. So, Josh, I'm going to send it over to you first. Um, how do you how do you feel just generally about the way that this game closes out like that just the final chapters of this game of course without getting too specific about the dungeon which i understand is is most of this but still Uh, i mean there is still the valley of death right um which in a lot of ways i uh might be my least favorite part of the whole game (laughs) like uh i think it's probably harder than most of the palace in some in a lot of ways i mean Um, there's no way it's harder it's it's not even close to as hard as death mountain maybe Maybe, maybe not. It's just, uh, maybe it's, it's more annoying. Maybe I should say than a lot of it. And it's like, uh, I will say, uh, I've been meaning to bring this up in the discord or somewhere. So I guess we'll bring it up now. I think that the, the talk of having to walk back when you die and go to North castle is a bit overstated. Uh, since you get the hammer and there's like a yellow brick road that takes you right back where you need to go. Like there's not a whole lot of backtracking to do until this part. <laughs> if you don't make it to the Great Palace and you die and go back to North Castle, you have to like getting to the raft is you can do that without fighting anything, right? But then you've got to go through that whole thing where the where they throw rocks at you from the fence and go through the forest full of all kinds of ghosts and whatever, and then start the Valley of Death all over again. Uh, and it's a pretty rough walk just to get back to the Valley of Death, and then you have to get through the Valley of Death. Uh, so without save states, without rewind, and without another trick, uh, it can be pretty rough uh, to just get through it at all. Uh, so I'm not real happy about that. I love Casudo Town. I like uh, the... Uh, <clears throat> Like I know you talked about getting the spell spell and all of that last week, but uh, the uh, just the whole this town was destroyed by the monsters. We had to flee and go somewhere else, but that you still have to do both of them. Uh, like I really love Casudo Town. Uh, it's it's a little bit curious that they didn't use that name again. You know, all all the other town names have been reused. Like in a lot of ways, have become some of the most famous names in all of Zelda. And if Kasuto had been a sage or something in Ocarina of Time, Matt wouldn't be mispronouncing it. You're exactly That's right. I, I really blame the the creators of Zelda for not reusing this uh, town name because that's why I keep mispronouncing it. Well, and it it, it, it is notable. Um, I mean, to your point, Josh, I feel like the nomenclature for so many recurring things in the series uh, throughout its entire history after this game – begins here you know um the naming conventions for a lot of things you know towns obviously those you know the uh, the names of the sages kind of continue recurring and whatnot but there's just there's a lot of lore that's established in this game that is kind of like touched on in later games and you're right Casudo is kind of like the outlier here um and yeah, like, i'm pretty sure it didn't even get like a name drop in breath of the wild 
like I'm confident it didn't. It's it's not uh, like I, like one of those weird random I slightly canonical things where it's like the the glade of I don't know like the the glade of Marin or like something right. like that yeah and, and it's like there's a ton of that in Breath of the Wild right that uh, uh, I I was really really happy uh, one, like I was happy with Maze Island I was so excited about that when I saw it but also there's a Raru town the Raru town ruins yeah and to a lot of people that's just oh it's a name drop at Raru from Ocarina of Time and to me it's like it's Raru town from Zelda two. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, like they just, they didn't, Kasuto has never been anywhere. And like, I'm sure they name drop every other sage in breath of the wild or every, all of the sages somewhere in breath of the wild. So, and to, um, to your point about this whole situation where we have these two towns and one of them is kind of the newer version and the old one is ruined. I really liked that as a story beat as well. Um, it kind of, it, it's an extra layer, uh, in, in this whole world, and I thought that it was really well done. Um, that is, of course, a thing that crops up in some other Zelda games, too. I'm thinking primarily of, like, when we get to Twilight Princess, you know, we'll have mm-hmm. we'll have Kakariko Village, and then later in the game, you have to visit, like, the Old Town ruins, but it's, like, it's pretty clearly the ruins of Old Kakariko, you know? Um, yes. So this is, a, this is a thing that kind of happens in other places as well, uh, and I agree. I, I think it's really cool. I love Old Kasuto Town. Um you know, it's uh, it is just a little bit challenging because, uh, you know, like we said, we've got Moas flying all around that place. But uh, at this point in the game, those are pretty easy to deal with between downward thrust and upward thrust. And um, I felt like this was one of the areas of the game where I was having the easiest time um, imagining this as as like a space you know we talked a lot in zelda one about how there was enough there for us to visualize what it would be like in a translation from 8-bit to like you know real life like we could we could make that imagination uh hop and uh that has not been true of a lot of zelda 2 for me but it was true in old kasuto town and i i did enjoy it Yeah, I think that like where I kind of come down here is um, it it was not nearly as frustrating to me as as Death Mountain, but I I feel like it has some of the same frustrations as the eastern portion, the south, the southeastern portion of of Hyrule. Um, this this peninsula. I don't know what have we christened this peninsula anything because I don't I don't know other than East Hyrule. I uh... I'm glad you said that because I kept meaning to look up if it's actually called something. Yeah, uh, I hate calling it East Hyrule because that's like I sounds think it weird. It might actually just be called that though. Oh well, um, there you go. So the the southern yeah. portion of East Hyrule—that's a mouthful. Um, ha- where last week we talked a lot about how just the enemy spawns are exponentially increased. It feels like, and this section felt. Even more than that. A lot of combat checkpoints. And man, like, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I was, it, that just kind of was frustrating to me. Um, and I, while I enjoyed some of the combat checkpoints earlier in the game, just because it gave me, it was a little bit of the, a little bit of a break in the overworld um, for me. This was, had almost went too far the other direction. Um, also, these blue Lizalfos or whatever they're called. Um, that are in the Garu. Garu. Okay. Th- these blue lizard people, <laughs> uh, that throw the unblockable axes or, uh, maces, unless you use the reflect spell. Um, 
have the all of why do all blue enemies this is just a common complaint all blue enemies of the iron knuckle lizard people Dyra. guy like all of them they just back up from you like all the way off like i was fighting one in one of these caves that backed up off screen like yeah, just completely happens. out of the screen and then just like disappeared and i was like okay cool i guess i win that fight i don't know i don't get anything for it but i don't really if care you at this come point back onto the screen if you like back up they'll walk back onto the screen he did but not if you're just trying to get past it you can just leave <laughs> yeah it, that's exactly what i did like as soon as I, I started walking the other way towards the exit and uh he didn't come back out and i was like okay bye so yeah i don't know man uh Mm, yeah it was fine by the way or the eastern continent nice go Go me to that point matt i think that this goes to a larger point that i've got about the combat in this last chapter generally which is that having all eight uh levels unlocked for all of my main abilities attack life and magic um and knowing that the next upgrade was going to go to nothing other than extra lives for link and that it was going to take 9000 xp to get to that point i felt much less incentivized to kind of fight out a lot of these encounters as i have earlier in the game um and, and to the point where like a lot of these like these blue lizard people that we're talking about i i truly did um avoid combat with with most of them you know i beat one or two of them just to say that like i i did it and i'm not trying to like get out of a hard time here but um but yeah i definitely was not in the mood to just grind out all of these guys because it seemed like the reward for doing that was was going to be uh nothing more than just being able to say that i did it for the most part and that kind of held true uh because even though i was fighting a lot of stuff in this back portion of the game uh between the valley of death casuto town the great palace all those places i still beat the game with like 2000 ish experience left to my next mm-hmm. level up yeah so did i and and i felt much the same way Lyndon. like mm-hmm. even even after um i accidentally explored pretty much the entire great palace without meaning to i was still <laughs> 2000 experience points away from from the 9000 needed right and yeah. i was like i just don't want to go grind a room of uh raw heads for this like right i, I don't want to do that so i didn't no, I, <laughs> like it, it's it's definitely very possible to get to the great palace without having 888 um so like it's not a requirement to beat the game to have that so if you're having that kind of trouble it's like the valley of death is almost just like the checkpoint to make sure you're skilled enough to to do this um and you will you can get a lot of experience points fighting your way through the valley of death uh and and also like you said you got 2000 experience points in the palace so it's like it's almost intended as like a finishing touch if you really need that extra level but with it especially nowadays as challenging as the game is for folks that like i even i i sit around and grind a little bit uh, I think I, I told you all my favorite place to grind is right there outside. I think it's uh, Naboru Town. Uh, there's jumping tektites. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. I like to fight the tektites with the fire spell, get 150 experience points, occasionally a, a pea bag, and uh, run back to town and heal. And I'll sit there and grind out a level or two. I usually don't do more than that because it doesn't feel necessary. But that's my catch up point. And. So I pretty I but I still have on occasion got to the Great Palace and not had eight eight eight. Um hmm. 
So interesting. Yeah, it is like if you if you hit eight 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 by three I rock palace, especially then combat kind of feels like a waste of time. The entirety of the level grinding that I did in this game was done in dungeons. Um, yeah. I, I did not, there was not a single point of this game where I was grinding for levels in field encounters. Uh, and, uh, and I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this is a thing that I've kind of said in past episodes, but I really feel like one of the things this game does well is as long as you're fighting most of the things that you encounter in dungeons and kind of like trying to get some experience off of a lot of these dudes, specifically in, I think it was Maze Island Palace with the Sorcerers, uh, which give you 200 experience yep. per kill. Um, I, I really felt like the game was doing a pretty good job at like, uh, you know, giving you enough stuff to level up as as needed with just a little bit of effort and so i still think that was a really nice balance that was struck throughout the entire play experience um yeah i i I think that for me the biggest thing about this was if anything i think that the way that this all should have happened is that the structure of the valley of death should have happened like that should have been death mountain and then death mountain as it is should have been the lead up to the great palace with like a heel checkpoint of some kind before you go into the palace itself. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that would have been a bit more appropriate and felt a bit more uh, climactic going into this final palace of, of the game. Um, But that's a coulda, shoulda, woulda thing. I I suppose just a little, a a little piece of criticism on my end of things. Um, Also, it would have had a nice symmetry ending the game at at death mountain both times, but also could have caused some, uh, um, difficulty like lore wise i guess or are you just saying like transpose well the, yeah yeah yeah. No, okay. i'm just, I'm just okay. saying that like the structure of death mountain like like you know i think yeah. death mountain should still be what it is like where it is you know okay but, but just just swap the arrangement got it okay. of those geographical spaces that makes sense and honestly the 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 valley cave system here might would probably have made a little more sense um, just based on what Death Mountain was like in Legend of Zelda, so I don't know. Yeah, not not so that I think like, not yeah. that I think that that's a consideration that should have been taken, but it would have been a nice little bonus material, I guess. It's like we talked about how Death Mountain is is like where people quit the game, right? It's like yep. it moving just that that whole cave structure, essentially, kind of idea to this end of the game makes a lot more sense <laughs> than road blocking the very beginning of the game with a multitude of caves, uh, a maze of caves, essentially with a bunch of difficult enemies in order to proceed. But of course so, the, yeah. the, the counterpoint to this, just playing devil's advocate against my own point is I was about to say, are yeah. you devil's advocating yourself here? I, I am. <laughs> uh, the counterpoint to this is that death mountain. It's not like that was a required thing necessarily to do when we did it, you know, um, it was actually, was, I was it about to say? I think you have to have the hammer in order hammer. to get oh, to the next. Oh right, never mind. Palace. Never mind. So I, take your devil's advocate back. I, 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 pro- I promise, if it wasn't required, I would have told you to put it off as long as possible. <laughs> I, I failed to. I, I failed to um, to refute my own point. So that's my bad. <laughs> um, okay, never mind. Disregard. But yeah, I, I still think the the overall point stands. And I don't know. I think that that probably would have been a little bit better of a way for this to happen. But uh, uh, let's talk about the thunder spell real quick because. Obviously, that is a that is a power of uh, of some great magnitude, uh, and I'm curious as to as to how good it actually is versus how much it costs to use. Because all cards on the table 
I used the Thunder spell exactly once in this section of the game, and it was against Thunderbird. Um, and the reason for that is because as soon as I saw how much magic it cost, there was no scenario where I felt like it was worth tanking all of my magic on that instead of leaving some in reserve for uh, healing. So I used it one other time just kind of to see what it would do in the situation that I was in. I was, I, it was one of the rooms or maybe it was just a random, uh, encounter that I had where there was like four Moas and a blue Lizalfos and like some other stuff. And, uh, it's, um, I just decided to go ahead and use it just to see if it would kill everything or just like a couple things or if there was like a limit and it just wiped the whole screen and got I got experience points for it. And uh, when I like I left and came back and the enemies didn't respawn. So um, it and unlike the spell spell where it turns them into bots and then if you kill the bot, the enemy is still there next time. But um, so, yeah, I think it's really good if you have a surplus of or if you know where to find a surplus of a red potion or something other than that no yeah. I, I didn't use it in the dungeon except for against the thunderbird yeah i never use it uh except of course for thunderbird but uh but yeah it is it is very good and if you're willing to or know where the red jars are cuz there's plenty of red jars hidden around in the great palace in particular uh, then like you can get good use out of it. Um, or if you're struggling to get those last couple levels, maybe it's an easy way to grind. <laughs> uh, so yeah, like it's useful, but I generally agree that I just, it, it's not worth the magic points for it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So I, I real quick, um, I want to pose a question to uh, every every person on this episode right now. Uh, we'll go uh, we'll go in order from Matt to myself, and then to Josh. I think is what we'll do. And what I kind of want to know is, uh, how did you feel about how did you feel about this section of the game as the closing of a game experience, like? Did you find it satisfying? And and feel free to talk story in here as well. Um, you know, like especially like I know we're going to talk about the layout and everything of the dungeon later, but like the story beats that take place. I'm thinking particularly of, of like the final boss. You know, mm-hmm. did you did you dictate an order there? Or are we just jumping in. I did. It's you first. Oh, cool. Sorry, I totally missed that. Um, so I I think that as far as final dungeons go. It was definitely appropriately challenging and appropriately large. And this is something that we've criticized about some other games that we've played Absolute, so far. That the final dungeons have been just like, that was the final dungeon, really? Yeah, so this was definitely, the final dungeon felt like a final dungeon. Um, the general lack of play or, or of act-by-act act story progression in this era of game is not lost on me here, just like it was not lost on me at this point in Legend of Zelda. Like, it feels like we have just been dungeon, 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 um, and more so in these last two where we had 
you know, dungeon, small town, dungeon, ghost town, dungeon. Like the 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 story felt like it kind of ran really quickly to the end. And I actually told you this before we started recording. I was like, I, I beat Shadow Link, Dark Link, whatever you want to call him, and got the Triforce. Either of those. What was he called? He said either of those. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I no, thought you said no, neither. Said and neither. I was like, I can't, there's no way I got that one wrong. Oh, <laughs> I said neither. Oh. oh, see, I thought that's what My he bad. said. I misheard. I'll save it for, for dungeon map. Okay. Um. And, okay. So anyway, you beat whatever that thing is. I'm going to call him Dark Link because that's what I think of when I see him. Mostly because Ocarina of Time, Dark Link. Um, anyway, so you beat Dark Link, get the Triforce. Zelda says the one sentence and then cut to credits and i was like whoa all right guess we guess we wrapped that one up and uh there you go like i don't know it just felt very it felt like the russian the rushed ending of a movie in some ways i guess gotcha i think that overall i i think that there's um even though i agree with you matt that the like i i really miss a lot of the um more expansive storytelling opportunities that are afforded in, in later Zelda games in both the last one and this one. Um, I, 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 I miss that for sure. I do think that the overall story that's being told in Zelda two is still a pretty cool one just on paper. Like if you were to write down like a synopsis of, of what it is, I think it's cool. And in some ways I think it's actually even a cooler story than Zelda one. Um, and so coming to the conclusion of that, uh, you know, I did have some enjoyment in it, especially just because uh, talking again about lore ramifications, you know, f- seeing the the physical Triforce of Courage represented here at the end of this game is a huge deal in the world of Zelda. And, uh, and I definitely appreciate any opportunity in any Zelda game where we're able to acquire that specific piece of the Triforce as Link, which happens several times. Um, this of course would have been the first incarnation of that. So I, I thought that that was cool. Um, but you know, definitely agree. There's a sense of anticlimax as you sort of get to the end of this game. I, I do really enjoy the feel and vibe of the great palace. I think mm-hmm. that, I think that honestly, uh, if we're being completely objective and fair, I think we would have to put this decently high up on the ranking of final dungeons that we've played so far. I, I don't know that I. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I don't know that I enjoyed it more than the than Ganon's Tower in um, A Link to the Past. I think that's still probably. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, that's still probably my favorite of all the ones that we've played. But I certainly enjoyed it more than Ganon's Tower or Ganon's Castle in Ocarina of Time. Uh, Enjoyed it more. uh, It's not really a fair comparison, but enjoyed it more than the Windfish's Egg in Link's Awakening. Right. Um, And uh, I definitely enjoyed it more than. uh, um, What's the name of the Sky Keep? What no? Well, yeah, definitely more than Skykeep. Uh, but what, what's the name of Ganon's dungeon in Zelda One? We just played it. I already forgot. Uh, Death it's Mountain. just called Death Mountain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just called Death Mountain. Okay, cool. Yeah, so definitely enjoyed it more than that. Um, and yeah, I think that it's like a good culmination of dungeons in this dungeon experiences in this game. It felt appropriately challenging. Um, we'll talk about that more here in a little bit, but uh, I, I, from a lore standpoint, I love seeing dark link or shadow link or whatever 
that is here, you know, for the first time. I think that Dark Link is one of the coolest recurring enemies in the Zelda series simply because of like what it represents, you know, this like this dark reflection of our hero. And I think that thematically it's very appropriate for Link to have to fight that before being able to claim the Triforce of Courage. I think that from a story standpoint, uh, that like that carries a certain amount of weight to it. Because now we're talking about our hero having to overcome the darkest parts of himself before being worthy to claim this like ultimate uh, power or this 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 crazy powerful artifact. Um, so I definitely really liked that. Um, and I, like overall, I've I've always felt like Dark Link should be an enemy that recurs more mm-hmm. in the Zelda series than and, and he it does. Sh- and it feels like he should be what he is here which is more of a final boss right like he's the mini boss in the water temple in ocarina of time and that felt a little disservicing to him just based at least on his first appearance which is in this game yeah but i I, and josh i want to let you go before i have a counterpoint to something Lyndon said so Lyndon, if you want to finish up your thought and then we'll let josh go and yeah i I think that's i think that's about it that's i don't think i've got anything too much more than that to add for now so josh it's it's over to you Okay, so uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy with how the game ends. Um, I think we have probably mentioned before, certainly at this point, that uh, I grew up with older games than the two of you did, um, and uh, so the ending of this game does not really feel abrupt to me. It just feels like the end of a game. <laughs> like there are definitely, especially once you get into like the Super Nintendo era, which remember is only like three years later than this um when this the super nintendo came out um that uh especially big rpgs started to have bigger stories and bigger endings uh, where like some of the final fantasy games literally have like 25 minute long endings um but uh even like a link to the past ending is significantly more than this one but all of this just feels like how games are (laughs) to me (laughs) um and it's like the story's in the manual and uh the ending is the ending uh but as far as like how it has paced out otherwise uh i said before i don't really like the valley of death like at all uh, i don't like that part of the game uh, but the great palace i think is fantastic uh the final bosses are fantastic and uh and i i love the old casuto new casuto stuff going on right around this time so uh matt feel free to go ahead and <laughs> counter yeah my point or whatever 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 you wanted to tell me i was wrong about yeah so I, i'm not necessarily wrong I, I think that the gathering of the triforce is definitely a, a cool story beat um what i still don't fully understand is the importance of this ancient eternally slumbering zelda like why is it important that we rescue her don't we have another zelda around somewhere if we don't you do what yeah exactly like if why why are we doing this what is what is the point why is it important to awaken her from her slumber and like we don't get those answers really and i just like that part of the story doesn't feel necessary to me you could literally have made this entire game without 
Zelda being the object of rescue, literally you could have just made this story of, oh dang, the third tr- the third piece of the Triforce is now recoverable for the first time in history. Uh, it's probably be pretty great if we went and got that before Ganon or his minions did. So let's go do that. Seems like a pretty good reason to do that. Um, I don't think you need Zelda yeah, I- in this story at all. Yeah, like I, like it was certainly far more common back then for games to just be, you know, about a damsel in distress, right? Uh, that game creators tend to avoid that more readily nowadays. Um, so, like, it's not out of place in that era for it to have just been designed that way. Um, but I think it was it, the way they ended up putting the timeline together in the end makes it not make a lot of sense but in the context of just when they made it it's a cool backstory for why the princesses are named zelda right and so it's it's kind of special to rescue the you know eternally sleeping zelda just because it's like you didn't save you know princess zelda you saved the original princess zelda (laughs) it's like how, how many princess zeldas have there been since then we don't know. Now we have a timeline that can kind of tell us maybe it really hadn't been that long. But but like in the context of just Zelda 1 and Zelda 2, it it could have been she's been there for thousands of years asleep in the castle. Yeah. And no one could open the door to even find her until Link was born. Uh, and uh, and I did I I I failed to mention the bit with the Triforce like the ending scene of this game I love. Because it is. It's the first time in the entire series history where what we now recognize as the complete Triforce is shown. Yeah. Uh, it's the first time Link ever obtains the whole Triforce. Uh, and ascend- like in the context of what we know today, it would be like he made a wish on the Triforce to awaken Zelda. Uh, which uh, is not... They don't, they don't establish that the Triforce is for granting wishes until A Link to the Past. Mm-hmm. But... Nowadays, we can recognize that that's what what he did, uh, and so I really love that scene uh, where he's just in the in North Castle with the three pieces. So wait, wait, did you go back to North Castle from the Great Palace? Yes. The, the end cut scene takes place back in North Castle. When does that happen? <laughs> when you you in a green? I was about to say, like it goes straight from claiming the the Triforce of Courage to Awakening Did Zelda. Did you want to walk all the way back out of the palace? <laughs> no, but I could have used like a cutscene or like a little thing of Link walking over there. I don't know. Yeah, that's where you get smooched. That's where Zelda's been this whole time. Yeah, I know that. That's why I thought it was weird that we were awakening her in the Great Palace. I was like, that doesn't make sense, but okay. Well, there you go, Matt. Yeah, you all were right, not well. awakening her in the Great Palace. <sighs> I guess that makes a little more sense then. Do uh, does anybody have anything else that they want to say in our takes uh, just kind of generally about this last section of the game before we move on to the dungeon map? I have mm-hmm. a trick to share with you Ooh, that uh, was mentioned, I think, behind spoiler tags in the discord and that I have deliberately not shared with you so that it wouldn't uh, ruin your experience. Uh, there is a trick that you might use when you play again. Almost all of those invisible block areas where you walk in, it's just like, oh, it's a battle scene now. Like Mm -hmm. the ones that the Valley of Death is riddled with. 
you can get around them. If you know where they are, and in the case of a lot of them, you could just walk into them and then walk back out, wait for enemies to spawn. If an enemy spawns and walks over that square and you walk on top of the enemy, you'll fight the regular enemy and you can skip the whole battle scene. Which makes getting through the Valley of Death significantly easier. Uh, you still have to do the cave. You can't skip caves with it. But uh, but you can skip that when you're going to Deronia Town. There's like three hidden things you have to run through. You can skip all of those. Uh you can't skip the guys throwing rocks at you because it's on the yellow brick road. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask uh, you that. Yeah, I was like, you can use this to skip a lot of those annoying sections. Um, otherwise. So a neat trick for future playthroughs. Definitely glad to know that now. Uh, also glad that we didn't know it for our playthrough, just in the interest of like playing the game it like appropriately yeah. or the correct like quote quote way you know th- this first like, time that it we're is doing a thing it you can accidentally learn right mm-hmm. or just accidentally do like it's perfectly possible especially on the way to deronia town in that little corridor in the mountains to just accidentally have an enemy spawn and walk over it and you yeah. never and you would never know otherwise you know it's it's maybe unlikely you would skip all of them both on the way in and on the way out <laughs> Um, but, uh, but it is perfectly possible to skip some of them on accident. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I I found that, and and I, that has actually happened to me before in the overworld. I didn't know that it was possible to do it for, for these enemy spawns, but like a place where I knew there to be like a power bag or a, uh, red potion or even a, like a link doll. Um, if I knew it was there, I've had that happen before where I got attacked by an enemy while trying to enter that square and then had to like exit, walk, then go back. Yeah. (laughs) So like, I didn't know that that was possible on those types of encounters. I didn't know that was possible on the enemy encounters as well. So that's, that's kind of a neat trick. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into part three, which is the dungeon map where we talk about this week's dungeon uh, from mechanics to music and more. And of course, in the description, we always say analyze this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more. And in these most recent games, there hasn't been a lot of like, you know, there hasn't been a lot to talk about uh, in in terms of just that brief little blurb that we uh, open this section with. However, uh, this week we do at least get a new soundtrack. And I wanted to start with that. Um, which is just to say that the music that plays in the Great Palace is really cool. And, uh, you know, I, I think I've mentioned several times before how I really like just the generic dungeon theme in this game. Um, I think that's a great piece of music. But this one is also, I think, equally cool. Uh, it feels very intense and it feels very, like, combative in a certain way. And, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a fun little tone setter stepping into this into this dungeon and hearing a new piece of music. Yep, it's something they carried over from Zelda 1 also, right? Death yeah, Mountain has yeah. different music than the other dungeons. Uh, like, I generally love all of the music in the game, right? There's only five songs, uh, but uh, uh, but I really like all of them. Uh, but yeah, the, the dungeon music, both dungeon themes, but especially the main dungeon theme is the one that gets most of the love, uh, mostly because they put it in Smash Brothers. Right. Uh, but... Uh, but yeah, I, that's I where I know that from. Yep. That's been tickling the back of my head every time I've heard it. And I'm like, why do I know this? Like even even like me, when Melee came out and they put that song in it, I did not know it was from Zelda 2. 
it just seemed like it was an original piece of music. Um, yeah. And like I played Zelda two after that and was like, Oh, I know this song. <laughs> okay. That makes so much more sense. Thank you for clarifying that for me. So I, 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 I have a question for both of you real quick. And that is, to what extent did you get completely lost in this dungeon before you finally got to the end? Because I think, Matt, you and I at least have have probably got different answers to this question. I was so lost. Yeah. I was so incredibly lost. I went all over the place. I went to the very bottom of the dungeon. I went to the far left. Like, I literally took... From the gate, I was like, I'm going to go left and just keep going left until maybe I'll hit the boss room. That was the exact wrong way to go. Like, I, like yes, literally, <laughs> literally, it is exactly the wrong direction. And that's what I did. You need to go left at the beginning, but then you need to go right. Yeah, it was it was bad. I I I was very lost. I completely stumbled into the correct way through this dungeon. Um, I. Yeah, like I got down to like I went left first and then just on a lark went right after that and just continued going right. And um, yeah, just it just kind of ended up in the right section like this whole I'm looking at a map of this dungeon right now. And, uh, you know, for everybody listening who hasn't played the game, this dungeon has a layout that is very like. Um, it's got two main branches. It's got a left path and a right path. And and gen, gen, uh, blah. generally speaking, uh, after after you get past the first little uh, th- the the first story, I guess the first sub level, um, you just go right and then go right and go right some more and just keep doing that, and that will eventually kind of take you down to the final boss and the end of the game. And um, but then over off to the left side of this dungeon, there's just tons and tons and tons of rooms that uh, that don't that definitely do not lead to where you, you want to be. Um, there is a path that will get you like if you do go over to the left, then there is a path that will get you kind of back over to where you want to be. But it's like way out of the way from like it's far from the quickest way to get there. Yeah, it's it was it was rough. I after I got to the very bottom level. And then made my way back up by, again, going left. Uh, I figured out like, oh, I, I ran into a room that I had already been in. I was like, oh, maybe that's not the right way to go. Dropped back down to the very bottom level, went all the way to the right and hit a dead end. Yeah. And I was like, well. Hey, listen. Hello, everybody. Quick editing mic here. Unfortunately, we seem to have had a little bit of a snafu around this area of the recording. The software that Matt and I used to record into had an issue processing all of the audio past this point. So that's super unfortunate. Uh, The good news is that we were recording uh, backup audio through Zencaster. The bad news is that it's... uh, does not appear to have been optimized correctly for the hardware that we're using. As a result, uh, my voice sounds just a little less good than it has previously, and uh, Matt's voice gets really washed out past this point in the podcast. Uh, fortunately, Matt doesn't talk quite as much in the back half of this episode as he does in the front half. Um, 
what he does have to say is very interesting though. Uh, but you know, that being said, uh, when he does have vocal, it just does not sound as great, um, as it did previous to this. So definitely very sorry about that. It's one of those rare technical issues that we don't run into that often or have been fortunate enough not to run into that often. But, um, this one has reared its ugly head and, uh, just kind of is what it is. So, uh, once again, our apologies, and we will definitely be double checking, um, that all audio is processing correctly as we're recording in the future so that this hopefully doesn't happen again. Regardless, on with the show. There's no other ways to hit dead ends. And then I looked up a map and like had to backtrack the whole freaking dungeon. So I was going to ask you all if you had used a map, and it sounds like at least you didn't at the beginning. No, I didn't uh, at the beginning. Like, yeah, I've done this both ways. Like, uh, just trying to, especially the first the, the first time I played it, like, this is a nightmare dungeon, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, even now, when I played it again, I tend to at least open a map and just start at the end and backtrack because I kind of know, yeah, you, I know you go left at the beginning and then, and then I always forget, do you go left next or do you go right next? And so I kind of, I tend to still need a little bit of a refresher, but w- it doesn't take long for me to play the game and feel like this is not right. Like there's some of these rooms you just don't have to go in and you shouldn't see these kind this type of platform. Uh, and like, there's a couple times, there's a couple times where you have to like jump over a spot or you fall down, mm-hmm. uh, like through the floor. But I'm pretty sure you only actually have to do that once. So when you start having to do it two and three times, there's like bells in my head that are like, you did not go the right way. (laughs) Um, So, but yeah, I tend to use a map to at least refresh my memory uh, just so I don't waste four hours of my life wandering this thing. So let's talk about the enemies that we fight in this dungeon, because I think one thing that I kind of came away from this dungeon feeling was that overall it was not the most challenging one from a combat standpoint i think that the density of enemies for one is is kind of way lower here than it is in some of the other ones of course there are some new enemy types that we mentioned in the plot recap that are difficult in and of themselves particularly um what are they called again i've been calling them the waka flockas but they're called focus focus okay cool focus the the fokeru i don't have to bleep that (laughs) 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 the fokerus i actually didn't find all that hard no fire spitting birdie things um as like they're easier to get close to than the hammer bros yes um and then you just smack them the yeah red fakas were fine the blue fakas were annoying because sometimes they'll jump and like they'll do an underhanded throw but it's in the hitbox of your upper body but it doesn't look like it is. And so I was constantly getting hit by that where it was like, I'm crouching the block, but it's uh, in the upper body hitbox, not the lower body hitbox. And like that happened to me so much and it was so frustrating. So backing up to the Fokeru, uh, which, you know, then just throw fireballs, right? Uh, getting close to them tends to not be super hard. Uh, they do hop back and forth, which means if you get too close to them, they'll still hit you. <laughs> Um, which like the, the Guma enemies, the hammer bro guys do not do that really. Right. Um, and then the other thing is that their fireballs are a little unpredictable and they can try because some of the fire will like dance and move around, uh, and not in a, 
oh, I spit the fire to the right, so it's going to move to the right. It's like they spit it to the right, and then it starts walking left toward you. So even when you're standing right in front of a Fakeru, and you think the fireballs are going over your head, they can still hit you. Like, the fire will land behind you and hit you from behind. Uh, So you still have to be a little bit careful with them, especially if you're... Uh, in like a, a situation where there's like steps, yeah, <laughs> it can be pretty, a little difficult to get uh, near them. Uh, I actually found I, I've seen some conversation about the Fakas uh, specifically in the Discord channel, and there seems to be a little bit of a disagreement on whether or not they are actually the hardest enemy in the game. Uh, some people feel that they are. Some people still feel that the blue iron knuckles are more difficult. And I, I really came down on the side of feeling like blue iron knuckles overall are more difficult of an enemy than these guys are. Um, I found that for one, even though what you're saying is totally true, Matt, like occasionally those knives just fly in places that are are not easily defensible from um the cadence of their knife throwing is typically a little bit slower than especially like the blue iron knuckles they'll get into periods of like massive knife spam you know and with the blue facas i definitely found that it was easier for me to uh to time my blocking and to get like to to really like last longer in a fight with them. And then the fact that they jump is, of, is of course frustrating, but I was also finding that was mostly the way that I was able to beat them is by using upward thrusts at the right moment when they're like arced above you. That, that is the. Yeah. So that that's, I, I totally agree with I don't think they're harder than blue iron knuckles. I think blue iron knuckles are a lot harder um, because I feel like these, the Bacchus have, um, more opportunity to do damage with with less risk, mostly because of the jumping, and then you can just up, upper thrust them. Yeah, like, I, I I did not I didn't think these were harder than blue iron knuckles. I did find their throwing when they are, you know, arguably uh, within hitbox range, one or the other, um, to be frustrating. But outside of that, I really didn't think they were that bad. Like the red ones, I thought were easy. So I'm going to be the counterpoint here. Ooh, do it. <laughs> because I don't think blue iron knuckles are very hard. Uh, the strategy with blue iron knuckles is you hit them once, and that's when they do their knife spam. So you hit them, and then you back off and just block five or six knives. And then they go back to a slow-moving uh, pattern of attack until you hit them again, uh, which is a slow requires patience way to fight them but it makes them pretty easy i think uh like i don't find them significantly more difficult than other iron knuckles um the foca i completely hate uh the red ones i can agree are generally doable the blue ones i run like i let them jump over me and i make a run for it more often than not uh, I know how to kill them, right? With the up, the upstab, they still hit me. Like I, uh, I can't seem to fight one without taking damage. So I'm apparently doing something wrong. But having finished this game like near ten times now in the last eight years or something, uh, I, uh, I am uh, not capable of fighting them. Uh, well, I think they are by far the hardest enemies in the game. Well, and this is the point that I have to once again reiterate that, like, I'm making liberal use of the rewind feature here. Oh, for sure. You know, no, for sure. Even with that, like, I actually did stop for the purposes of being able to talk about it. Uh, and I made sure I f- 
legit killed a red one and a blue one. Um, but then the second blue one that you came across, I tried repeatedly just rewinding the whole fight, starting the room over to try again and was just not doing it. At least not in a way that I was satisfied with where I didn't come out of it dead. Right. Um, or near death. Uh, I was trying to like do it for real and get good at it and really struggling with it to the point that I was just like, whatever (laughs) and left. It's a, it's easier to run away. Uh, and they give you that opportunity in a way a blue iron knuckle generally doesn't right. Since, since you can, they will, you don't have to jump over its head. It will jump for you. Um, they will, those lasers coming it from you behind, you've got to run. (laughs) But, well, and these are also being, I, I found, placed in rooms that don't have that like common complaint I have with the blue iron knuckles where it's like it's a it's a it's like a, an, a, a low ceiling. And the only way to get past the blue iron knuckle is to defeat it in this like low ceiling area. You know, um, the 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 blue focus, I found that to not be the case like the the rooms where you're fighting them typically tend to be like you've got you've got room to maneuver you have room to move around and i feel like that's just probably by necessity more so than anything because their whole shtick where they're like these big agile jumping enemies only works when they have like that space to move around so right you can get them stuck under some corridors and stuff but uh i also think iron knuckles are easier in the small rooms uh but uh but to me, being really good, being really good at the jump tab, uh, I've realized that that those corridors, the, just the way the rooms are built, is like the perfect height. So to me, it's it's easier to get the jump stab done on iron knuckles in those little corridors uh, than if you have a high ceiling where you have to actually think about it. Yeah. <laughs> So let's go ahead and talk real quick about the two bosses that close out this dungeon. We've got we've got uh, the Thunderbird, obviously, which is a very intimidating looking enemy design mm-hmm. in and of itself. This is a this is a freaky looking monster. Um, and I would say I actually had a bit of a harder time with Thunderbird than with Dark Link, but like uh, I, I definitely did appreciate um the whole having to use the thunder spell to activate damage phase on this boss, because uh, as you kind of alluded to in your plot recap, Matt, I spent a lot of time before figuring that out, just trying to jump yeah. around and, and hit this thing and nothing was, was really working. Um, and then had this moment of clarity where I was like, Thunderbird, thunder spell. Oh, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and then once I kind of like let one of those off the chain, you know, obviously the way to defeat this boss becomes apparent. It's still very hard. Like one thing that I really liked about this boss was that it really does require using several of your spells in concert to defeat it. Um, Like, you know, I died to this boss once, lost a life, came back into the chamber. The very first thing that I did was popped shield and jump, you know, because you really, you really do need the extra agility from jump to be able to land your hits on its face. I tried hitting its face with the upstab several times, and I don't... It does not work. Okay, I, I, I wasn't sure if I was just really bad at upstabbing or if it just wasn't possible, but um, that's definitely not the way to do this. So, yeah, and, and then we we do get into a little bit of like a bullet hell situation. There's a bit of a, a Mothula thing that this is doing where yes. it's like 
it's just chucking energy balls right and left and they increase in, in like, um, in like density, you know, the more damage that you do to the boss. But, um, overall I, th- I thought a really fun and appropriately challenging boss fight. And, you know, obviously the thing that I was kind of thinking the whole time was, I can't believe that this is the final boss of Zelda two. <laughs> right. It, it just seems it's not that not, not because it wasn't hard enough or anything. It's just like, like, Oh, okay. This is interesting. This is I guess a like no enemy that never recurs. That yeah. Is, yeah. It's not Ganon. It's not dark link. Exactly. Is, I wasn't expecting dark link either, but like, and then of course the other shoe dropped later, but uh, you know, Matt, how did you feel about Thunderbird? Pretty much the same way. I, died a couple of times fighting this boss to the point like i would let myself die and then rewind all the way as far back as i could um i figured out fairly quickly to do thunder um mostly because i after i realized like i was not doing any damage to it and it was flying around so like fireball fireballs wouldn't work not that they've ever worked on any boss ever but i was like i'm just gonna throw thunder at this thing and see if it hurts it and it, you know, then changes to blue. And it's like, oh, I should probably hit that thing's face. And uh, I actually went the rest of the fight trying to upward strike it and just not working and occasionally getting lucky and, and hitting it until I was very, very close to dead. And I figured out that if you run to either side of the screen, he follows you and his fireballs do a more predictable pattern until he reaches the side of the screen that you're on. You can jump up, get a quick hit, and then more easily dodge the fireballs that he's throwing, run to the other side of the screen and like do the same thing. Like you basically have to like drag him from one side to the other. If you try to stay in the middle, his fireballs are way too chaotic to dodge consistently. So once I figured that out, I I didn't have too hard of a time. He was still very hard. And I left that boss room with like eight magic and like one HP. Like I was dead. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go get this Triforce and, and get this over with. And then fucking Dark Link just comes out of nowhere. And I was like, I'm not even going to try to fight this guy. I'm going to let him kill me and and, and uh, start back with full health and full magic. Because I had like two lives. So I was like, I'm just going to let him kill me. I don't care. Gotcha. So yeah. that is the strategy, Matt. Uh, I'm sure it's not the speedrunner strategy, right? But you're exactly right. If you try to stand in one place or don't move very much, the fireballs will kill you. Uh, moving back and forth and making Thunderbird follow you is how you reduce the density of the fireballs, even in the second phase when you just start spitting them constantly. Uh, that uh, makes it manageable. And there's a few little openings where you can jump up and hit him mm. uh, in there. Uh, uh, I do, there is, I think, just an, a forever debate of whether using jump is better or not. Uh, I find using jump in most situations, actually, and, and especially this fight, I think it's harder. Uh, I, I don't like how high you jump with it, but uh, how do you? But how would a you lot use of people. Head without using yeah, jump? I don't. I don't. I don't you get just, that. You have there's enough. There's enough height. Maybe you have to hit it from the top step or something. But uh, like, I don't find Thunderbird super difficult. Uh, it's probably still the most difficult boss in the game, uh, minus the final boss we'll talk about. Uh, but like, it's not a, it's not a really difficult boss in the grand scheme of action games, two D action games. Sure, um, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, 
And like to that point, I certainly wouldn't like that. And that was kind of one of those things where I was fighting it. And the thought that I had the whole time was like, man, uh, the Thunderbird has got nothing on like mother brain from super Metroid, for instance, you know? Sure. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, you have, but again, it's about finding that pattern. Once you figure out that Thunderbird moves with you, uh, and you can kind of, you can make the fireballs predictable, uh, then they become a lot easier to dodge. Hmm. And it is like that. That's just common game design. Now, like bosses have patterns and it's about figuring out the pattern. I mean, Elden Ring is still doing that in 2022. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but no, I, I like Thunderbird. I will say I never had the experience of running in and not knowing to use thunder. Uh, I also never had the experience of not knowing the final boss was the final boss uh, because I uh, it was all it was all spoiled for me ages before I played this to completion. Uh, I'm a little surprised you all did not know that. I, I uh, did not. I nope, very, I didn't. I was very surprised. Uh, no idea. So that's really cool, actually, that someone can still have that. That's kind of a like an ending of Ocarina of Time reveal experience that not a lot of people get anymore. This to me is kind of like that. I feel like it's common knowledge how this game ends. Uh, maybe it's not, <laughs> but uh, so uh, yeah, I never had that. Just growing up, probably by the time Ocarina and Time came out, I knew how this game ended, <laughs> and even even having not played it myself, knew that Thunderbird was weak to thunder. So this this feels like a perfect segue to the actual final final boss of this game. Let's go ahead and start off with what you kind of teased earlier, Josh, which is. What is the actual name of this boss? Okay, so The Legend of Zelda is kind of stupid sometimes with its lore and its naming conventions. Dark Link, Shadow Link, and Link's Shadow are three completely different concepts that are not interchangeable. (laughs) So the final boss of this game is Link's Shadow. Dark Link is the monster you fight in the water temple in ocarina of time and shadow link primarily uh shadow link has occurred more times than the others usually in mini games and such but shadow link is primarily a concept in four swords adventures uh would that also be uh, the a link between worlds uh yeah like the mini game within a link between worlds where you fight all the little shadow links yeah same idea but uh but like uh, that's again, it's, that's it's like not. It's not. It's not really bad. Okay. Yeah, it's not. That's not canon. The canon Shadow Link of a story purpose is uh, is in Four Swords Adventures. There is an uh, the Dark Mirror spawns them, and so there's like hundreds of Link copies. Uh, but yeah, so the final boss is Link's Shadow. Uh, so it is literally your shadow, uh, which kind of ties into the the kind of well-known origin story that Link is kind of Peter Pan uh, and uh, Peter yep. Pan wrestles with his own shadow. Uh, so yeah, your challenge is, is fighting your own shadow. That is what it is. Gotcha. That, that, most I, people do just call it darkling. And I mean, that is a very fine distinction, but in fairness, I, I definitely can kind of see the difference between those two things. Um, if for Noah, like, so I, I think for the purposes of this game, I think it's definitely helpful to contextualize it in that way. Uh, 
is there any particular reason that the version that you fight in the water temple isn't that like because to me that's such a non-specific encounter and it's like there's no real lore around it for the most part yeah i actually was looking this up uh while we've been talking to see if there was any more to it but it's like it's not explained like you say uh the the only thing i could say is that morpha even in the water temple and just what's happening in the water temple is essentially a curse from ganon ganondorf that's right? fair and so it's it, it reasons that no like it is it reasons that dark link is something ganondorf created uh you know as a as an impediment to you uh where uh, it, it's it's kind of a, a weird detail that's lost both in Zelda and Zelda 2 that like the bosses in the Legend of Zelda are not Ganon's minions. Like they are guardians there. Zelda put the Triforce in those dungeons <laughs> to protect them from Ganon. <laughs> like so those monsters are there as guardians. Uh, and the same thing is true here. Like uh the the enemies on the overworld those are ganon's minions trying to kill you to get your ashes to resurrect ganon the in, like ganon's minions are not in the great palace the old or, man or, or any palace know, right right they're not in the palaces those are guardians that are defending the triforce of courage uh so that unworthy people can't get to it um and so all of the like this boss is this is just the uh, we can frame it like Skyward Sword, right? In Skyward Sword, a lot of what you do is framed as Hylia giving you a trial to overcome, to prove you're the hero. This is the same thing. Like, having to fight the Thunderbird and then fight your own shadow, those are the final trials that the hero has to overcome to obtain the Triforce of Courage. Right. And I, I think that makes sense. And again, is an important <laughs> distinction. I think that one of the things that really helps sell the fiction of that in this game is what we were talking about in an earlier episode where the enemies in the overworld and the enemies in these dungeons are not the same. Like they, they there's really no overlap there. And so I, I think that really helps kind of support that line of thinking. So talking about the actual fight with Link's shadow, um, even if it's not conceptually the exact same thing that we fight in the water temple, I found the fight itself to kind of function very similarly, right? Where a, a lot of what you're doing is just like, honestly, just kind of like throwing attacks relentlessly at this thing and waiting for something to land. Uh, you know, I definitely tried to be a bit more strategic with it early on like tried to be very agile you know like find the right moment to to like downstab or upstab or like trying to do the iron knuckle thing where like i would jump and at the exact right moment you know i would do a sword swing and then try to hit its head or whatever and like none of that was working with any consistency whatsoever and after a while what i just kind of figured out was that by standing in the middle of the arena and just like hitting this thing with a barrage of never-ending sword attacks i was for one thing mostly succeeding in keeping it away from me like it still landed a hit every so often but for the most part it was it was a stalemate in combat right but like for every for every two hits or for every hit that it would do against me i was finding that i was landing two hits against it and so the math just kind of worked out. And I think I only had to pop a life spell one time in order to, to kind of stay in this fight, um, which isn't to say well, that I, because it's probably all the magic you had. 
<laughs> right. yeah, for real. yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Um, I was definitely running very low at this point, but like, I don't know. I, none of that is to say that I didn't enjoy it, but I, I definitely think that I enjoyed it more from like a, like a fictional and story perspective than I did from like a, Oh, this is a fun fight with fun mechanics perspective. Yeah. I, I, so I had a, different, very different experience where I was in the middle and he was jumping over me and he was trying to downstab me and I was trying to upstab him and it just wasn't like nothing was working. And so eventually I started like trying to maneuver around the, um, I said maneuver and I like did a little bob and weave there. So that, I don't know why <laughs> nobody can see it, but it was a fun. I thing. saw it and I appreciated yeah, it. Yeah, that was fun for me. Um, the, uh, so I was maneuvering around the arena trying to find like an area where I could either trap him against a wall to where he wasn't as mobile or get my back against the wall to where he couldn't get behind me. And what I ended up finding purely by accident was that it, it, very similar to the wizard fight. If you go stand in a corner and just crouch and just constantly swing, he's eventually going to come up to you try to hit you and you're going to hit him. And so uh, after I was about three quarters of the way through my health, and had been trying to fight this guy legit, I guess we'll call it, for a cup for like five-ish minutes. I got in my corner and just stabbed him to death, and he, he and I didn't take another hit, and it was kind of like, huh, well, when you do it that so, way, it's not as fun. So did you figure that out on your own? I, I did. I, I, I backed up into a corner, and I was standing at first and hitting, 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 and he, he wasn't able to hit me. And I noticed that he is very, very frequently in the crouch stab position. So I was mostly in the cr- in the crouch block position because he was he starts the fight off this way too in the crouch position. And so so I stayed in the crouch position and just kept slashing and eventually got him. So I was surprised to hear either of you saying that you fought this boss legit at all. I've only beaten it one time legit, which was actually when I just finished it. Uh, what I did, which is what I've heard to do before, is that the only way to hit him with any amount of consistency, and it's still not consistent, is to like jump into him and hit uh, and do a swing, uh, which does kind of get behind his shield and, and hit him. Uh, and so if you jump around a lot and start hitting him as you land, uh, then you can take him out. But I don't know if the right word in this case is infamously or just famously. This boss can be totally cheesed <laughs> if you just start the fight, walk to the bottom left corner, crouch, and stab. Just keep stabbing. He will jump into your sword over and over and over again. It is what it is probably the hardest final boss in any Zelda game if you don't do that. <laughs> if you do it, he is suddenly the easiest one they ever made. Uh, granted, a lot of Zelda bosses, uh, final bosses, have those tricks where you use the bug net or you use a bottle or the fishing rod or whatever to to kill them instead. <laughs> uh, maybe this is the beginning of that. But yeah, so this boss can be made pathetically easy on accident. Uh, I'm surprised you figured that out on your own. Uh, but I'm also surprised you all didn't die a couple of times and then look up a guide because every single guide is going to tell you just sit in the bottom corner and stab. So now that we've talked about Link's shadow and that whole fight, I guess, would you all say that it, 
especially like Josh, I, I think we already know sort of where you land with this. It seems like you feel very positively about this final dungeon experience and both of its bosses. Um, but Matt, would would you say that you are satisfied with this dungeon as a whole uh, in terms of it being the culmination of this game? I think as a culmination of this game, it is exactly what it needs to be. I have to say that like I was just super frustrated by the pointlessness of like three quarters of the time I spent in this dungeon was literally just hitting dead ends. And like that is kind of this game in a nutshell in some ways to me is a lot of it is just needlessly painful. And I don't feel like dead ends are a thing that recur in most other Zelda games. Sure. It's not common to have just wasted space. Like either they will give you a heart container or even golden sculptulas or something, but you can't, like in any of the other games we play, you cannot spend three quarters of your time at a dungeon for no purpose at all. Yeah. And like that frustrated me a lot, to be honest. Like the fact that I spent so much time to do nothing um, was was annoying. Mm-hmm. Once I got into the right path, once I pulled up a dungeon map and figured out where I needed to go and followed the path, like even though I was already in an annoyed headspace. I did enjoy it for what it was. Um, you know, I think had I done what you did, Lyndon, which is, you know, kind of stumble upon the right path the first time, I would have really enjoyed this dungeon. So, yeah, I, I agree so, with all those points, enough. Matt. I definitely think that, uh, you know, the, a lot of the difficulty from this dungeon really just does come from the layout a little bit more so than the combat or even the bosses. But all that being said, I, I didn't feel like that was a cheap trick necessarily. I don't mind that being an element of difficulty that's added to kind of make this, you know, a bit a bit of a pain here at the very end of the game. Um, in some ways, I sort of wish that modern Zelda games were a little bit more free with doing something like this, where it's like the dungeon itself is a space in which you can get lost. You know, I don't want that to be something that happens all the time, but as an idea, I think it's interesting and, and could be expounded upon. Um, Josh, kind of, I don't know, where, where are you at? Let's, let's tie this section up with your final thoughts on this dungeon. Well, um, uh, so what you just mentioned about, uh, uh, getting lost, right? Uh, I think that fits thematically on, uh, on some of the bits of, uh, wow, where thematically where this is a trial, they're protecting something, right? It's like if you're if you're building a temple to protect an object, it makes sense that an invader could go the wrong way, right? You don't just build one path that goes straight in uh, at that point. So I think that thematically that makes sense. Um, and then, but then also, I, I think you can kind of see in a link to the past where they had not let go of that entirely. Um, like there are dungeons in a link to the past where you can start to still feel a little bit lost. Uh, the skull woods is a good example. Uh, since that dungeon is so experimental with using the overworld and then having to fall in holes and find your way around these disconnected portions of a dungeon. Uh, it's like they had not totally let go of that yet. Uh, where before the, where nowadays, uh, they tend to build a lot more of the like puzzle box dungeons where it, it's all very tightly designed. Uh, and uh, even in Breath of the Wild, where the game is otherwise just blown wide open, uh, the dungeons are still 
like you can you can solve puzzles in more than one way, but they're very de- they're very designed uh, to what you had to have to do specific things. Uh, and, and this dungeon kind of feels more like you can just get lost in it. Uh, like it's more like a big space. Uh, and, and I'm I'm okay with that, but also totally understand and have lived the frustration of spending hours in this thing going the wrong way. Um, however. There's two things about this dungeon you all may not have noticed I wanted to share just with everyone. Uh, Since we're all using save states and rewind so much, this dungeon actually acts differently than the other ones. Uh, First, if you game over in this dungeon and you hit continue, you will start at the beginning of the dungeon. Uh, if If you hit save, anytime you hit save in this game, it takes you back to the title screen. Uh, then you will still start at North Castle. Uh, but if you hit continue, uh, it will just start you at the beginning of the dungeon. The other thing that I didn't know the first few times I played this and even got uh, was really frustrated with because even with save states, sometimes you get to Link Shadow and you have like one hit. And even with the little stabby trick, he can still hit you occasionally. He'll jump just right and get you, right? Uh, and then it's like, well, I have no lives left and I have no, I have no health left. I don't want to have to do all that and fight Thunderbird again. How am I going to do this? Thunderbird permanently dies. <laughs> it does not respawn ever. It is considered a boss like any other boss in a dungeon. Uh, and so if you game over and you go back, even if you just hit continue and go back to the beginning, and walk through the whole thing again, Ooh, you will not have to fight nice. Thunderbirds. And that's huge. That really is. And it's good to know that the the designers of this game did incorporate some slight amount of, um, I guess, difficulty dampening mechanics here in this final dungeon. Um, something to offset the threat of having to lose potentially hours and hours and hours of gameplay um, if you if you take a hit at the wrong time and especially when you think about this game being designed in a time before rewind and save states you know people playing this on an nes and being completely at the mercy of you know of lives and game overs and like you know having having no recourse against that really um it's definitely good to know that there there were some considerations made um, to try and offset that just a little bit. So that's definitely a great tip, Josh. And especially, like, I know we have listeners who have not been playing this game along with us and are just kind of like, you know, listening for our thoughts and whatnot. Um, definitely glad to hear that spoken here, uh, you know, just in case any of those people ever do want to dive into this. Uh, now you know, um, if you if you come up into that situation and you do perish against uh, Link's Shadow, uh, and you get a game over, all is not lost. Uh, you're not going to have to replay too much more game than than would be considered otherwise fair. Um, did, did you have anything else that you wanted to say about this palace before we move on, Josh? Uh, no, I think we've probably covered it. Um, like it just... It's yeah, so no, it, it, it really is. It's 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 a dungeon of significant magnitude. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think just to put a pin in our thoughts on this, I think we all agree it's a good one. It's a it's a sufficiently challenging and difficult way to end this very difficult game. And 
uh, I definitely don't feel like from a from a gameplay perspective, I don't feel like this game puttered out at the end. From a narrative perspective, you know, whatever. Like, sure, a little anticlimax is to be expected, but yeah, yeah definitely, definitely mm-hmm. a good closing chapter to this game. Um, especially when we're just kind of like judging it on the terms of like what this game is, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have more all encompassing thoughts about, about the game on like a, on like a overarching level in our recap episode. But yeah, for what this game is, I feel like this was a very good ending for it. Let's go ahead and get into, uh, the lightning round, which in these eight bit games consists of part four, five and six, where we just kind of move through them, uh, pretty quickly because, there's really just not all that much to dig into. Let's start with uh, part four, which is Bloopy Trails, where we talk about uh, interesting things that diverted our attention this week. And I'm just going to go ahead and get mine out of the way and say that I don't even have one. I'm not even going to try to scrounge one out of thin air. I I loaded in. I went straight to old Casudo Town through the Valley of Death to the final dungeon and beat the game. I did not do anything extra. Matt, was your experience any different? Nope, it was exactly the same. Rock on, Josh. Did you did you snatch a bloopy trail from the jaws of whatever this is? This this last portion of the game here. Uh, <laughs> no, and there's a pretty good reason for that, actually. Uh, because unless you ha- unless you just have some level grinding to do, right? Uh, it's pretty difficult to finish this game and not 100% it. Uh, you're not required to get every heart container. Uh, so you could have that left over if you wanted to. But you have to get every magic container to learn the thunder spell. So by this point in the game, you actually have to have explored pretty thoroughly... Uh, to to even complete it in the first place uh, a couple of those magic containers are is there anything is there any line of text uh, or anything so. that the old man in old casudo town says to you to indicate like if you don't have the requisite number of magic containers that you've got to get them and come back i don't know uh, i've never actually checked uh, I just, uh in part because like the the most annoying magic container that's easy to miss is the one in death mountain uh, and then, but you can also right. miss the one in May's Island if you just don't walk that way because it's an invisible tile. Uh, so, like, uh, it, I I make a point to never miss them, so I don't have to go back and do it. Uh, I should probably check sometime. Uh, but but no, I, there's not any uh, anything else. But the game's kind well. Of then let's get on to the uh, part of the Sacred Realms rundown where we actually probably will have a little bit of something to talk about. Uh, that would be part five, which is Z targeting, where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross. And uh, I'm a selfish, selfish person, so I'm going to go first, and I'm going to claim Link Shadow. Yay! Cool. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. That's what you. That's what you get for giving me an opening here, man. <laughs> I didn't have an opportunity to cut you off. Well, that's why. That's why. That's why this plan was so magnificent. Uh... It was foolproof. Yeah, Link Shadow. I think really cool final boss. Just thematically. Again, we've already talked about how neat it is to see the genesis of this concept in the Zelda series that does kind of recur. Um, I thought this was just a really cool moment. And even though you know we've had some conversation about the ways in which this enemy is different than similar versions that we fought in later games. Um, it's still similar enough to where I had a very cool aha moment when I realized what was happening. And uh, to your point, Josh, 
you know, I, I think that this is something that, especially f- for somebody who's a longtime fan of the Zelda series and has played most of them, um, this was something that was about as cool to me, at least conceptually, as the like the final Ganon fight in Ocarina of Time. Um, it had a similar level of, of magnitude and. I don't know. I, like, I just I found it to be a really neat moment, and I very much appreciated that this is the way in which we were going to end the game. Um, because, like I said before, I really like Dark Link, Shadow Link, Link Shadow. I like all of those things as concepts, um, and it just felt very appropriate to end the game on that enemy. So, Matt, I will now send it over to you, and you can try to follow that up. Oh, there you are. Sorry, Gatsby was making quite a ruckus, and I was wondering if he was okay. But he is. He's here. He says hello. Hey, Gatsby. Okay, um, my Z-targeting will be the Thunderbird, I guess, um, because I thought this character design was really cool. Um, very unique, not only for this game, but for the previous game, and really kind of one of the most unique character designs and um, bosses that I can really remember from most any Zelda game. I think it was, uh, it was a great, uh, it was a great boss, um, very difficult and um, utilizing um, the spell that we got I, I sort of in the dungeon, but you know, for the dungeon, obviously. So, you know, utilizing uh, the, that specific spell to make it damageable. Um, learning its pattern was really fun. I think that that gave me a big sense of accomplishment for, um, figuring out how to get it to a place um, where I could damage it more easily. That was a very satisfying and gratifying thing that I haven't really experienced very many times in Legend of Zelda or Adventure of Link before. Uh, so I will say just before I, we before I pick someone, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, I actually just put it in Discord for you. Uh, uh, Katsuya Tarada's artwork of Thunderbird is really cool. Uh, the thing is creepy. That, that is terrifying, but but also but also our Lord and Savior Katsuya Tarada once again cranks out just an absolutely badass piece of Zelda art. I had he no... also has one for Dark. Oh yeah, like yeah, where he's like wrestling with it. Yeah, oh, it's so good. I feel like a bad Tarada fan right now, but I did not even realize that there was Tarada artwork for Zelda Two. I haven't seen any of it, and now that's that's going to send me down a rabbit hole. I'm sure Melora has it all documented. Well, I need to reach out to Melora uh, because it's probably been too long since I chatted with her anyway. So there you go. Uh, 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 but yeah, woo, my, man, that's cool. My that choice, is cool. I'll just go with the only other character that shows up at the end of this uh, that's not Zelda. Uh, the uh, the poor old man who guards the Triforce of Courage has just been there for untold countless years <laughs> waiting Uh Maybe he is a Sheikah monk of some kind. Who knows? But old man. Just go and bring peace to Hyrule, y'all. He's stuck there. <laughs> so, yeah, I just feel bad for him. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem like he even has a, a, a nice comfy stasis chamber to have like existed in for millennia. So you, you, you got to appreciate the commitment. No doubt about that. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of part five. Let's go ahead and get into part six, which is our final thoughts in which we let Matt wrap up this section of the game in as succinct a way as he can possibly think to do.
So we have finally come to the end of our adventure with the infamous Zelda 2 um, in a appropriately excruciatingly difficult dungeon with two very hard bosses that have really, uh, assuming you fight them the legit way, push the boundaries of uh, your combat capabilities, your magical capabilities, and your uh, strategy for uh, dungeon diving in this game. Um, the story kind of uh, screams to a halt here uh, at the end with um, a, an appropriately uh, succinct ending uh, befitting this era of gaming. Um, but we can definitely say that this game, gameplay-wise, did not putter out at the end. It stayed consistent to its vision for a punishingly difficult game that pushed you as a player to the edge of your capability in every encounter. Um, and it stayed true to that all the way to the end. Um, it is uh, good to see the Triforce in its uh, recurring um, state from this point onward through the rest of the series in its three pieces, uh, getting the Triforce of Courage, um, and seeing Link's Shadow, a.k.a. Dark Link, a.k.a. Shadow Link, um, in his first appearance was also a highly gratifying uh, to see. So um, a lot of good things to say um, and definitely a game that uh, is comfortable in its identity and stayed true to it all the way through the end. Well done, Matt, as always. That, of course, brings us to the end of the Sacred Realms rundown, the final one in season six of Sacred Realms Pod. Hooray, we did it. We did it. We got to the very end. Of course, we will be back next week with the Sacred Realms recap in which we kind of put a bow on this gameplay experience. We will rank it against the other games that we played and we'll have a discussion about our overall thoughts and feelings on the game now that it's over. Uh, man, I just have to say, so y'all sent me on a rabbit trail here. I'm currently Googling Tarada Zelda 2 art. I would be really interested to know when, like, if he if he did all of this artwork around the actual release of the game. Because something that's so interesting to me is that the way that he draws Link in the Zelda 2 art portrays Link holding um, a Hylian shield that looks... It's basically exactly the same as the Hylian shield as depicted in A Link to the Past and Link's Awakening and all those. Um, and of course, the shield in Zelda One, and I guess in Zelda Two as well, um, it, it was always kind of depicted as having like more of a, a cross, like a very generic looking shield. Um, that's just a that's a real nerdy aside, but man, this stuff is cool. Tarada is a truly a, a demigod among artists. Like this dude is so wildly talented. Yeah, I, I was just flipping through the art. Also, uh, some of it I just hadn't seen in a long time. Because uh, there's there's a few pieces like the Thunderbird and Fighting Link Shadow that you kind of see a lot, uh, but the the artwork of like learning the fire spell uh, from the the old man uh, or the wise man or whatever like that piece is really cool. There's like a wise man sitting on a throne who just like throws a fireball in your in Link's arms, uh, and there's artwork of putting the crystal in the the head of the statue. Uh, and fighting horse head like there's there's just a neat little collection of stuff yeah absolutely if you've never googled katsuya tarada zelda art just go do that for a minute because that's a really good way to spend at least and 10 or 15 minutes tarada is spelled t e r 
R-A-D-A. Yes, indeed it is. Ease of Googling for those of you interested. Yes, indeed it is. Go follow uh, History of Hyrule, Melora. She has a really cool thread from uh, last week uh, in which uh, somebody that she follows uh, actually met with Kitsuya Tarada in person a few weeks ago and saw a lot of the physical pieces and like has pictures of them on Twitter. Yeah, God, it's, it's just so cool. Can't even imagine. All right. Anywho, that does bring us pretty close to the end of this episode. Of course, one thing that we kind of do on this show from time to time is that we will open up our Discord to the asking of questions for whoever we happen to have on the podcast this week. And we did get a, a pretty interesting one uh, on the uh, on the Season 6 channel in our Discord chat for you, Josh. And uh, I, I just wanted to go ahead and drop that here. Of course, uh, you've you've had the luxury of being able to kind of like, you know, be on your Zelda 2 soapbox in our Discord channel uh, just <laughs> kind of perpetually since we started this journey. So most people who are in there know your thoughts and feelings about all of these things anyway. But I feel like we have something kind of new to talk about. Uh, this comes from a question that Kolku posed in the uh, Discord chat just a few hours ago. Um, where they said, if it's not too late, and it's not too late, you caught us well before we started recording. Anything from the original Japanese release that was changed for the international release that you wish had not been changed, Josh? Uh, so there is one detail that uh, was actually pretty lost on me until recently, uh, and it's because stuff changed. Uh, it changed so much I was not aware of. Uh, I was aware of half of it, but not the other half. Uh, so this game was originally released in Japan for the Famicom Disk System. Uh, so it, it was not on. In fact, I don't know if it was. I don't think it was ever released on a cartridge in Japan. Uh, it's essentially on a floppy disk, uh, and so they like the memory just works differently. Uh, so they had to make some graphical changes to accommodate, I guess, how the game loads uh, and how animations work or something, right? Uh, and one of the things that was lost was that the in the overworld, the water is animated. Uh, yes, so the water is animated. Like it just, I'm sure it's just a loop of two or three frames, right? Uh, but it's animated. But the other thing that's animated in the overworld is lava. Uh, do you all know where there is lava in the overworld? Like it, I can't it, think off the top of my head. At no. which point, I don't recall there ever being lava in the overworld. Exactly, because it doesn't really look like lava in our version. And that's why I wish this was not changed. So the Valley of Death, all of that reddish brown you walk through is supposed to be lava. What? That, like that doesn't communicate uh, at all. No, it looks like dirt. And so and so supposedly like there was that bit that the 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 boots you get let you walk on water and lava. Uh, apparently you can't walk over that lava if you don't have the boots. You also can't get to that point in the game without <laughs> having the boots, so it's kind of pointless, right? But but in the Japanese version, that lava is animated, so it is obviously not just rocky terrain or something. Like, and so that's a, that's a graphical detail that was lost in our version because uh, from moving the game from what is essentially a floppy disk to the uh the rom cartridges that we have um and uh so yeah that's that's one thing uh like the only other like little thing that actually that uh that uh it's called zelda 2 redux the 
the ROM hacked version we talked about, they actually restored. They had a cute reference uh, that was removed in the US release uh, that uh, kind of became a running joke of sorts uh, between developers. I mentioned last time I was on here comparing the game to like Dragon Quest uh, and how some of what they did was because Dragon Quest was really popular uh, in Japan, like insanely popular in Japan. Uh, they put a comment on a gravestone in one of the towns, basically saying, here lies Erdrick, uh with his Japanese name, which was the main character of Dragon Quest, <laughs> uh, which was just a nod, but also maybe maybe not a nod, maybe a jab at Dragon Quest. Um, and uh, that was removed from the U.S. Would have gone, uh, gone completely over my head anyway. Right. So like that kind of thing, like, and, and it was, I don't even know that the game had been released in the U S by the time this was out. So maybe that's why actually it may have just made absolutely no sense to anyone. Uh, but it kind of became a little bit of a running joke. There's multiple games nowadays, I think that have gravestones that say here lies link. Uh, uh, final fantasy has one of those or had one of those in the original, uh, and so there's a little bit of stuff like that that kind of got started in Zelda 2 that was totally lost uh, just because of localization. And like, it's a little thing that makes no difference whatsoever in the game, but it's kind of a well, it's a great nowadays. The lava and water is actually more that's a great answer to that question. And I, I do find myself wishing that had been retained in the uh, in the Western release, because one of the things that I've mentioned about the overworld and one of the reasons that I don't like it is that it all feels pretty static to me. Like it all feels somewhat lifeless. And little things like that I think would have gone a long way towards helping mitigate that issue for me personally. Um, And it does kind of make me want to uh, fire up the Japanese version of this game in the the Switch Online NES library. Yeah, I've been wanting to do that myself actually. Um, but yeah, so that, those I think are the main things. Um, yeah, like you say, in the overworld is static makes me kind of just think for a minute, like what if they did remake this and the overworld was 3D, like even even kept it a top down perspective, right? But the trees were 3D and they could have the wind blowing through them and like you could make it feel more alive with yeah, absolutely. I think just a little extra character would, would really go a long way there for me. Uh, I think that's probably – I need to think about it before I render a final judgment, and uh, I'll get back to this next week. But uh, I think that's still probably my biggest disappointment with this game is, is the overworld generally and, and how little it engaged me. But uh, uh, again, I'll uh, you know I'll, I'll, I'll say a final word on that next week. We'll, we'll see where I net out with it. I need to sleep on it a little bit, but – yeah, I just need to get you to play more games with these kind of overworlds. <laughs> okay, you can you can try, Josh. You can sure try. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, uh, Kolku, we really appreciate that question. Really good one. Again, you know. Uh, this is the kind of conversation that we're having all the time in our Discord chat. Um, we have a really good little community there. It's a lot of fun, and uh, if you listen to the show and you and you enjoy it, and you're not in there then i really encourage you just to go go pledge one dollar to our patreon and get in the discord because 
uh, it truly is just a, a great time in there. There's a lot of interesting little nuggets and that's only going to continue as we get into other games past this one with Wind Waker being next. Josh, seriously, we appreciate you coming back on the podcast this week. Um, I, I can't think of anybody uh, that it would have been more appropriate to have on this uh, back half of the season for two episodes than yourself, just because we've always known that you were kind of the Zelda 2 guy. And if there's anything that this game needed for us in trying to talk about it objectively, it was somebody who has a favorable opinion of it and the ability to kind of like speak to some of these decisions and, um, and, and somebody who can kind of like advocate for a lot of the things that are happening here. Um, I definitely speaking for myself, but I think probably also for Matt, I, I think that that has actually been a big boon for us in, you know, analyzing some of the things that are happening in this game and maybe, uh, maybe, thinking about them twice um, and, and coming away from them a little bit less critically uh, than we otherwise would have. So we, we really, truly appreciate that. Um, of course, this is not the last time that we'll have you on. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely, we'll, we'll circle back around as we get into later games and we'll figure out where you want to slot in at and we'll have other conversations about other things. But for now, I can just say that I have really appreciated your perspective on this game specifically. Yeah, no, I really enjoy talking about Zelda 2. And kind of just like you said, like uh, like even just for anybody who hasn't heard me talk about it before, right? Like this is not me talking from a nostalgia point of view. If you wanted to hear me just gush about something for nostalgia's sake, you would put me on a whole season of A Link to the Past. Uh, but like this game, like I, I fell in love with this game recently as an adult having never finished it prior to that. Uh, and so for me, it was all pretty fresh and kind of an acquired taste also. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe it's sad, but I don't know how many people there are like that <laughs> anymore. I feel like a lot of the people who really like this game grew up with this game. Uh, like I know people who played, this was their first Zelda game who were then disappointed that a link to the past was not like this Zelda game. Uh, and, uh, and so like, like that's very much the case with a lot of it. And so like maybe my perspective is just a little different that I, I came to it. I, I came and played it just because it was the only Zelda game I had not finished. Yeah. And I was like, I, I need to finish it. Well, <laughs> instead, I, I love it now. I, I can definitely say that, uh, my, my thoughts and feelings about it are, are very complicated and you've kind of, you've helped me to recontextualize a lot of my feelings about it as we've kind of gone through the season. So, um, yeah, again, you know, next week we'll have a little bit more to say, but for now, uh, just want to kind of, uh, once again, reiterate that uh, it, it's been really great to have you on and talking about it. And we look forward to having you on again sometime in the future. Awesome. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about Zelda all the time. Matt, I think it's time. I think it's time to wrap it up. Lyndon. Let's, yep. let's do it. Sounds good to me. All right, y'all. If you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it's not a problem. Five-star Apple Podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy, Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. 
Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with the rank and recap for the back half of Season 6, where we will be talking about our final thoughts on Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. If you still have some catching up to do, we would love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. The Adventure of Link can be played in a variety of places. It can be played on... The original NES, it can be played on the NES Mini, it can be played on a variety of eShops, and it can be played on the Nintendo Switch NES online service, which was the version that Matt and I were playing. But, in the meantime, may your hearts be full, may your arrows never miss, we'll catch y'all next week. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences. Bye!